And open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, we're in a series on walking by faith, Abraham and Sarah walking by faith. And we're going to look this morning at the first eight verses in this uh, very significant chapter in Abraham's life. Again, verses 1 to 8, this is the Word of God. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them, under the tree while they ate. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have before us your word, and that we have before us the sacrament that you've given to us. So, Father, we're asking for your Spirit's help uh, to understand what your word's saying to us, Father, understand what the sacrament's teaching us, and that, Father, you might enable us to have a greater grasp of what it means to be the friend of God. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the greatest title that you can give any human being? You know, maybe a title indicates power and prestige, like king or emperor, president, premier. Maybe you think in terms of, well, let's, let's move the other direction. What's, what indicates humility? Mother. Father, servant. Moses and Elijah are both called the man of God in Scripture. That's quite a title. But there's one I believe that surpasses all of those. There's a title that's probably the most important to us on a day-to-day basis in our lives, and that is friend. See, a friend is someone we share life with. It's someone we're in agreement with about life. Someone we share loyalty and mutual commitment with. We confide in one another if they're a friend. And if you think of all the things that we know about Abraham, just a few years ago, he still made the cover of National Geographic magazine some 4,000 years you know, after his, uh, his death because he was so significant in, in Christianity, in Judaism, and in Islam. He was famous for his faith and his failings, for his obedience and his blessings. But to me, the most remarkable thing Uh, that's ever said about him is three times in Scripture, Abraham is called the friend of God. Jehoshaphat's praying in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, and he speaks of God as to God of Abraham, your friend. And then God himself says, Abraham, my friend, in Isaiah 41, 8. In the New Testament, James, in his letter, James 2, 23, says, Abraham, a friend of God. I think it's harder to find a greater compliment than that. 
than to say someone's a friend of God. And in one sense, all we can say is, wow. I mean, this is not Abraham's assessment of his relationship with God. It's not how he thought about God, per se. This is the statement that God made about Abraham. And and, and this is breathtaking. The infinite, eternal, holy, majestic, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God views a, a mere mortal human being as his friend. Now, why is that? Well, scholars generally will start pointing to our chapter this morning, Genesis 18. So we want to see why Abraham is called my friend and how we should think about our lives in those terms. Let's, let's go to the text. We'll start by looking at the friend of God is hospitable. Verse 1, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. You know, it's the middle of a hot, dry, seemingly ordinary day in the life of Abraham. It's like most of the nearly 9,000 other days that he's lived here in Canaan. And Abraham's taking his customary afternoon siestas at the door of his tent. He's in the shade. He's trying to capture whatever breeze he can. And he's dozing away when something prompts him. Uh, to look up, and he sees three men standing under the trees there in the yard. Now, we have to understand, it is not a usual thing for Abraham to have visitors. So he's excited about the prospect. And according to to good Eastern hospitality, he, he jumps up, and he hurries over to meet them, and he bows down before them. Now, at first, at least initially, it seems Abraham does not know exactly who these people are. Many assumes they're just what we would if we saw three men standing in front of us. We'd think they were three men. But over in Hebrews 13.2, there's a verse that many think, look back to this incident as well. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now at some point, Abraham does realize who his visitors are. We can tell that by the end of verse 5. And so we know that these visitors are none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. All right? That is, this is Jesus taking on a temporary human body. This is prior to Bethlehem. Uh, And and there are two angels with him. So notice what Abraham says. O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, uh, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourself under the tree while I bring up morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And so they said, do as you have said. Uh, you know, it really sounds like Abraham's been looking forward to this moment. That, that he's been anticipating when he would have an opportunity to show his affection for God. After all, until now, when you look at the relationship, it looks a, a little one-sided. You know, God does everything for Abraham. So given the opportunity, Abraham's looked for, he's going to practice superb hospitality. And given what the menu turns out to be, notice how he understates uh, the offer. Just a, just a morsel of bread. 
But hospitality, being hospitable, is a mark of Christians. Hospitality means we have an opportunity to serve and we seize that opportunity. You know, Paul writes to Timothy that the elders must be hospitable. Notice the elder, by the way. It doesn't say his wife must be hospitable. That's a good thing, but I would point that out to you. Um, and I, I remember a long time ago, one of the hardest things I ever had to do in ministry, I was still in my 20s as a pastor, and the session had determined that an older man in the church was not qualified to be an elder and that I got to give him the news. Um, and the, the basis of the decision was largely this qualification. He was not hospitable. He did not know how to relate to people. He did not know how to show himself a friend. And as God's friends, you see, we should seek to be the friends of people. Uh, Second, the friend of God serves. Verse 6, And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick! Three seeds of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he'd prepared and set it before them. All right, this is a group effort. He goes and says, Sarah, it's time to make some bread. She's probably saying, it's a hot time of the day to make bread, Abraham. And he says, I don't care, we got to make bread. Uh, I doubt that the servant wants to light the fire for the barbecue, but he does. Um, and then Abraham himself uh, will serve his guest. He's going to stand there. Uh, you know, you go into the restaurant and say, I'm here to serve you today, right? Uh, he's going to attend to their needs. Friends, if, if we are a friend, uh, we are excited to serve people as we have opportunity. Third, I would have you note the friend of God enjoys fellowship. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Uh, God enjoys fellowship with Abraham. Just contemplate that. And as God's friend, we are to enjoy uh, being friends with him and being friends with others and fellowship with them. And here the fellowship is, is centered around a meal and a time of confiding. Now, we did not read what they talked about because we're going to be looking at that in the coming weeks, but here's a preview of the coming attraction. God affirms the promise of the birth of Isaac. God will confide in Abraham about the impending destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham will intercede on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah with God. And so what's going on with all this? Well, Abraham's talking with God, just like friends talk with each other. See, Jesus has come in a manner, in a form that Abraham can understand. Jesus is pointing to the day when he'll permanently do that. When he's born in Bethlehem, he will make known to us what God is like. And it doesn't surprise us that God will do this. Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples in the upper room the night before the cross, after celebrating the Lord's Supper with them, says, John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, 
And we will come to him and make our home with him. That's Jesus pointing to the ultimately the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives on a permanent basis. And here Abraham gets to just a taste of what perhaps we often take for granted. Jesus has come to him to have fellowship, a time of fellowship. Friends, God desires for that fellowship with us. There's a very familiar verse in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And you often hear it used in connection with salvation. But that's not really what it refers to in its context. It's found in the letter to the church of Laodicea at the end of Revelation 3. You may recall that the indictment of the Laodicean church is rather strong. Jesus says to them, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either hot, cold, or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. In our terms, they'd, they'd grown cold in their Christianity. We might use the word backslidden. Uh, Christ no longer has a part in their lives. They're not taking much interest in prayer. They're not probably reading their Bibles the way they should. And they're probably not caring for others the way they should, showing love. So what's the remedy? Jesus tells them, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now change your ways, turn to me. Now what's the motivation for that? Well, that's what this verse is all about, Revelation 3.20. This is is the motivation to, to bring change into our lives. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. That's a verse about the fellowship of Christians with Jesus. And the fellowship that he describes is in terms of table fellowship. Jesus earnestly desires to share fellowship with us. And I suggest the key to keeping our lives straight, to getting our priorities aligned with His, is fellowship. It's our friendship with God. So let's ask the question, are we a friend of God's? I mean, how does this translate into our lives? What's it mean for us to say that God is our friend? Let's go back to the upper room again after the Lord's Supper. And Jesus talks about what it means. Here's what he says, 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So first Jesus establishes He's our friend. How do we know that? He points to the cross. No greater love is a man this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And then Jesus says, we can know whether or not we're his friends, the friends of Jesus, by the way we live. If we do what he tells us to do. We need to understand something about God's commands. To be sure, God is a gracious God. We sang, when we fall down, he picks us up. And he does that every single time, friends. But he anticipates our obedience. It's not a bad word. But we distinguish between service to God 
sometimes in service to others, between fellowship with God and fellowship with others, the Bible does not. That great passage we refer to in Matthew 25 says there's no difference in having Jesus for dinner and a homeless person. Listen to what he says. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. That's friendship. Hospitality that we extend to others, particularly to those who cannot reciprocate, is the same as extending hospitality to Jesus. So finally, let's look at the sustaining meal for the friend of God. We have a picture before us here this morning, this act of friendship on the part of Jesus. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what's pictured here. It's Jesus giving himself for us. Friends, he did not lay his life down for us because we deserved it. We did not deserve it at all. But you see, God demonstrates his love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as a meal, it's a superb opportunity for fellowship with the one who's our host here this morning, our friend Jesus, who laid down his life for us. This table is an opportunity to to talk with him and to get to know him better. Uh, He comes as our friend so we can be encouraged here. We can be strengthened in our fellowship with him at this table. As we realize the depth of his love for us, our love increases. Uh, As we realize the sacrifice he's made for us, we realize the sacrifices we must make for others. As he demonstrates his love for us, so too we are to demonstrate his love to others. The commands he gives us center on how to live a life of love. That's what they're all about. Friends, let's not hesitate to entertain friends. Let's not hesitate to entertain strangers. For doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. So what about us? What are we hungry for? It's been a couple of years, you know, you've lost, over COVID, I've lost track of time. Maybe, I, don't, I won't say you all have, but I have. And Becky and I were eating it uh, well before COVID uh, at El Graton Restaurant up on Atlanta Highway. Um, the owner previously had a, a small restaurant here in, uh, across from Ingalls in the Chevron Plaza. Um, and uh, great food, winsome owner. And he told us then, two, three years ago, he said, I'm going to open a new restaurant at the old Wendy's in Oakwood. And, um, and so we look forward to that. You know, but it never seemed to happen. And uh, we waited, waited, and I found that, you know, COVID, just not going to happen. But you know what? The long-anticipated big burritos, 
That's the name of it, and those, they're big. I'll send you a picture. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's open in the old Wendy's, and, and what a feast. Anticipation, and we've enjoyed it. Uh, and there's another important meal we're to anticipate, and that's the wedding feast of the Lamb. One day when Jesus comes again, and eternity kicks off, if you will, we're all together. It's going to be a huge meal. It's going to be a supper like none other in all of history. And I don't know all the menu details, but I know who the host is. It's Jesus. I know who the server is. It's Jesus. And in the meantime, as we anticipate that feast, he's given us another meal to enjoy. Another meal to help us remember. Another meal to give us strength of gift of God's grace to feed us on the journey. Strength to live a Westminster Shorter Catechism question one life. And that's the Lord's Supper. And understand today, Jesus himself is the server here. Jesus who showed himself our friend through his death on the cross for us. Jesus who is loyal to us. Jesus who wants conversation and fellowship with us. Friends, his body and blood are the menu today. So this morning, it's our friend Jesus who invites all who are believers in him, in his death and resurrection, who hunger for fellowship with him, to come to his table. But he does caution us. This table is not for everyone today. Jesus says, if you're not yet trusting in Jesus, in him for eternal life, please do not come to the table. But if you sense that you want that relationship that Jesus offers, this friendship, if now it's dawning on you, he's laid down his life for you, a sinner, he's taken the penalty for your sins, then I would urge you to use this as a time to pray and, and tell Jesus that. Place your faith in Jesus Christ and then let us know afterwards. We'd love to talk with you and follow up on that. And children who have not yet come before the session should not partake. But if you're wanting to, that's good. We have a class. We'll start just a couple weeks. Uh, Talk to your parents and see me. To all who are believers in Lord Jesus Christ, members in good standing of an evangelical church, we say come. But first, as God's word says, we've got to examine ourselves. Do we recognize the body of the Lord? Uh, Twofold. One, it means we recognize the body of Christ, the price he paid. What's our attitude towards my sin? Uh, The second is, we're the body of Christ. What's my attitude towards my friends in the body of Christ? You know, if there are sins that I do not want to turn from, I want to hold on to, then I should not come today. If there are friends that I refuse to be reconciled with, we should not come. But if we need strength to battle sin, and I know I do, if we need strength to pursue our friendships, by all means, we come and we feast. Let me just say, if you're watching online uh, today, we we miss you, and, and we know you missed the time at the Lord's table. We'd urge you to absent the elements of the Lord's Supper. Use this time like we are here to to examine your life, to turn from sin, 
and be strengthened for the journey. Let's now each examine our own hearts, confess our own sins before a holy God. Father, we acknowledge before you this morning our sin. Father, we, we think sin. We, we speak and we sin. We do things we shouldn't. And Father, we don't think about what we should think about. We don't say what we should say. We don't do what we should do. And we confess that before you this morning. We ask your forgiveness. Father, not just because we're so good, but Father, because Christ died for those sins on the cross. He took that penalty for us. So Father, we turn to you for forgiveness. And your word assures us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and you will forgive us our sins and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, what a great act of love from a friend for what you did for us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.